Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. I was talking recently to a health administrator about communication between different groups in his hospital system, and he said, interdepartmental communication has been historically very difficult. There were different incentives that made working together something people didn't want to do. If your department didn't make the numbers, you're in trouble. You're the one out of a job. Now, I've done an earlier podcast about some personal and interpersonal constraints on interprofessional communication. This administrator's comments point to some of the structural issues that can get in the way of interprofessional communication, and that's what this episode is about. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. Hey, just a reminder, I made an audiobook bundle for you. It's called Effective Patient Education. It's a bundle of an 80-minute audiobook, a 40-page ebook if you want to follow along, research references, and additional exclusive resources made by yours truly. It's inexpensive, and you'll be helping support this podcast series and your own learning. Available for immediate download on healthcommunicationpartners.com. Now, most of my experience in interprofessional communication is in the education sector, and most of that in higher ed. Departments within the same academic unit can be quite different, and those differences are perhaps made the more frustrating because there are so many assumed similarities. In my experience, it was almost worse when we all thought we had been comparing apples to apples, only to find out later that we hadn't been. Some of this friction had to do with differences in our disciplines. Some of it had to do with institutional structures. So I'm going to talk about both of these briefly. Let's start with the interdisciplinary part. Now, the health sector is hardly monolithic, right? It's huge. There are so many parts to it. Even within the same institution, different departments have different knowledge and experience and potentially different priorities. So in addition to the tricky problems always involved with collaboration, you're also dealing with the equally urgent and complex problem of different intra-organizational or disciplinary approaches to whatever issues you're there to address. Now, I'm going to ask you to try a bit of a thought experiment, because I think it may be helpful. Imagine that every interprofessional encounter is a kind of cultural encounter. Communicating across professional cultures, then, I suggest, involves making visible and being explicit about much of what's usually taken for granted in our own corner of the hallway, right? Our own disciplines, our own specializations. Our own specific approaches tend to become invisible to us. So I'm going to start there. To get better at your own interprofessional communication and collaboration, I'm asking you to think about your own professional learning. This includes what you might have come to take for granted in your professional communities that can make things tricky when interacting with other professional communities. So, take a walk back down memory lane for a moment. Think back to your professional program. Nursing school, med school, pharmacy school, public health, veterinary school. You get what I mean. In your professional program, 
you learn the specialized language of your discipline while you learned medical and scientific information. There were thousands of new terms which you were expected to use with your peers. But you learned more than how to speak the language. The term academic socialization refers to the ways post-secondary students are brought into the culture of a discipline, through their study and specifically through discipline-specific language use. Professors Mary Lee and Brian Street, in their explanation of academic socialization, add that, quote, students acquire the ways of talking, writing, thinking, and using literacy that typifies members of a disciplinary or subject area community, end quote. And of course, I have links to all of this in the transcripts. So this new culture of a discipline was intimately tied to your learning, your thinking, your membership in this new professional group, and more. So let's make this concrete with an example. Let's take med school. There, you learned ways of talking about medicine with your instructors, your classmates, residents, attendings, patients, of course, how to think and act like a doctor in your case studies, in your clerkships, in your experiences how to read about medicine in your lectures and classes, and how to research and write about medicine. And in the links, I have a classic, very crafty JAMA editorial on medical writing. Check it out. Now, you are socialized into these ways of talking, thinking, reading, and writing. Now, your job depends upon it. You are surrounded by people, also socialized into it, and whose jobs also depend on it. Now, regardless of the extent to which you personally identify with the dominant voices or approaches in your discipline, your professional program involved your learning to read and write and think in a discipline or specialty-specific way. For a long time. And you're still doing it every day. So, if someone from another specialization or discipline or department disagrees with your group's way of doing things, it can feel personal. Because it kind of is. Methodologists have pointed out that the approach we have been educated with and socialized into can become entwined with our identity. That is, how we do what we do professionally can become part of who we are. We're kind of attached to it. As a result, we can get personally protective of our disciplinary status quo. This can make for some tense moments when it comes to interprofessional communication. When you're looking at, talking with, and trying to work with people who have different positions and different disciplinary backgrounds. So, noticing and being conscious of our disciplinary MO is important, but this alone is not enough. We have colleagues with different disciplinary approaches, and we need to work together. In a 2017 article about how researchers can move past historical differences, methodologist Norman Denzen refers to earlier work on fostering dialogue among people who work from different paradigms. Here are four of these recommendations that might be helpful. Openness to critique. Decline in confrontational stances. Avoidance of simplistic representations of others' paradigms, and more fruitful dialogue among competing paradigms. 
Now, thinking like this may help us appreciate, from others' standpoints, the complexity that can underlie differences in approaches. It might help us think twice about our differences when it comes to those apparently straightforward tasks that are involved in interprofessional communication, such as, you know, inventory, scheduling, data gathering, etc. These kinds of things that can slow down progress during interprofessional collaboration when we all think we're talking apples to apples, and we're not. Here are some questions that might spark ideas. How do current arrangements challenge communication and collaboration? How do current arrangements sustain communication and collaboration? For example, where and when group meetings are held matters. Sometimes on locations will make participation easier for some group members than for others. What already existing institutional structures could support the kinds of communication and collaboration you're being asked to do? For instance, are there some already existing collaborations that you could piggyback on, maybe hold meetings at common times or one after the other. Consider what mechanisms are in place or needed for ongoing collaboration and support of everyone involved. This kind of information can be helpful in making a case to your organization about better facilitating interprofessional communication. And if you'd like more help, contact me at annemarie at h-cpartners.com. This has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners. I'm Dr. Amory Liebel. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.